oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the, do- the DOE and founded a small consultancy and became a podcast host. Big thanks to the Offshore Technology Conference for allowing us to be here. Even bigger thanks to Fifth Ring for sponsoring the Offshore Technology Con- Conference Podcast Pavilion. Fifth Ring is a global B2B marketing and communications agency with over 30 years of experience in the energy sector and beyond. And its presence in Houston, Aberdeen, and Singapore enables the agency to help companies all over the world build better brands and sell more stuff. Learn more about Fifth Ring by visiting fifthring.com. Link is in the show notes below. Recording live from the Offshore Technology Conference 2023 in the exhibit hall on Podcast Row at the OGGN booth. Special thanks to the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs LLC. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. You can learn more at oglawyers.com. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Hani El Shahawi, founder and managing director for Novi Digitech. Hani, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Elena. Great, great. So I've said a few things about you. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about uh, Nova Digitech, how you founded it, but really we're interested in your piece of the uh, upstream oil and gas sector and how you got involved and perhaps how that took us to Nova Digitech. Sure. Um, so I formally retired from uh, Shell about two and a half years ago, and uh, I decided then to found and now I'm managing director of this Novi Digitech. And essentially it's my uh, consulting arm uh, by which I work on the themes that I've really enjoyed the most during my career. And those are innovation, Novi, (laughs) uh, digitalization, and technology at large, particularly technology innovation. And um, I spent about 18 years at Shell working in a variety of roles but largely around technology, technology strategy, uh, technology partnerships, innovation. I worked in a game changer program back at Shell and also led innovation as well as digitalization for deep water technology. Um, Prior to Shell, I spent about 15 years with Schlumberger, now SLB. Again, variety of roles uh, spanning from uh, operations, operations management, uh, marketing and sales, product development, and R&D. And I really wanted to compile you know, the things that I enjoyed the most um, into this new entity. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's great. So your, your basic background in Upstream is related to research? Or? Yeah, well, originally I am a mechanical engineer by uh, bachelor degree. Uh, but then I really worked uh, in the oil business since I graduated. 
literally like next day. Your first day job. After graduating. And that was with? Uh, and that was with uh, somebody, SLB. SLB, that's right. Uh, and it was in the, mostly in uh, Southeast Asia. I worked in um, about 10 countries over there. China, Vietnam, Taiwan, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Bangladesh, kind of all over. And um, also in the Middle East, uh, in Egypt, Oman. Uh, and um, then I moved to Houston, Sugarland, to be specific. And I was working in the product center over there. And that's when I made the move uh, to Shell in 2002. And like I said, I spent there 18 years working essentially um, on upstream exploration and development ah, okay. globally, yeah. but based in Houston. So uh, yeah. amongst other things, I was heading a global center of excellence uh, with two uh, parts of the team. Uh, half of the team, if you like, was in Houston, and the other half was in the Netherlands. And we were covering global operations. So I worked in all of Shell's large capital projects, um, you know, again, around the world, Australia, Alaska, South America, Africa. It was a lot of fun, too, you know. So very much global jobs right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Previously with SLB and then with uh, Shell, and really what I do now is pretty global. So I work with companies all over, Absolutely. some in India, some in South America, Great. and many, of course, in the U.S. here. So. Uh, kind of second nature to me. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were in school, you, you did Emmy, not um, Petroleum. That's but right. did you always know you I did you go were back to school, though. Oh, okay. Um, sort of halfway uh, during my time with the SLB, I went back to school to study Petroleum Engineering oh, okay. at UT Austin. Okay. So okay. I did a master's degree uh, there. Great. And um, actually completed the qualifications for PhD, but uh, I did not pursue that further. I went back, they called me to come back and rejoin, so which I did. I, I rejoined as a reservoir engineer, production technologist, and then petrophysicist after that. So sort of have a lot of expertise in the petroleum engineering domain with some core expertise areas around uh, things like formation testing specifically. I still teach courses in that uh, domain, but I'm very much a generalist beyond that. Yeah. Uh, so I try to work sort of the intersection, as I mentioned, uh, of digital technologies with uh, innovation in general and uh, digitalization is sort of a course piece of that. Right. That's a space I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to get to that part because with the kinds of contributions that you want to make now with your company or have been making with your company and the different clients that you have, really having that full 360 of the oil and gas sector is what you implied. And so I wanted to know how you got yeah, there. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who kind of are interested in not just what they started, but what they could do as well. And it takes a little bit of courage to like expand, to fly a little bit. It's, it, it's helpful to have a company that really supports that kind of thing, which sounds like you did. Yes. Um, so, but people should be uh, interested in doing that. Say something Absolutely. That. That's something I've enjoyed really with SLB and then with Shell sort of allowed me to explore the boundaries of kind of what is generally um, possible in whatever domain you're in. Um, and, I, and I've just enjoyed and thrived in, that, in those kinds of roles. So uh, most of the roles that I've had are a combination of sort of chief strategists or architects of a domain combined with technical expertise. So I would generally bring some you know, deep expertise in a few areas but combine that with enough breadth. So for example, uh, one of my roles at Shell was uh, 
uh, as a uh, technology strategy advisor for Deepwater. In that domain, you kind of have to be conversant with drilling technologies, subsurface technologies, uh, underwater subsea technologies, sort of the whole domain around uh, uh, deep water. But also it encompasses understanding of exploration technologies, you know, seismic and GNG, uh, as well as, uh, you know, just the, sort of all the way to decommissioning actually. So you need to be conversant with all this. Of course I was no expert in all of these things, but I worked then with my colleagues who are deep experts in each one of those areas. My job then was to compile all that into a uh, coherent plan technology plan. Usually this plan spans, you know, uh, five years to ten years out. And so um, just having that breadth was very helpful. Now, in my subsequent jobs, that helped me too, because when I worked in the Game Changer program, for example. And I remember, I loved that title when you were at, when you yeah, worked, so Game yeah, Changer. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. I really <laughs> loved that. And it was about, you know, going out and prospecting for potentially disruptive new technologies. But you want to do that informed by what the business actually needs. And it's not the need of today, it's actually the need of tomorrow. Right, that's And right. so it was very helpful because I'd worked on strategy, you could then be informed a little bit by where is the puck going? Because that's kind of where you want to be looking for when you're prospecting for potentially disruptive technologies in the future. You can't be looking for yesterday's technologies because these are already mature. You really need to be looking for tomorrow's technology, but you cannot do that in a vacuum either. So. In that sense, it was very helpful to have the technical background, to have specifically the breadth to go with it, and then also to have sort of the interest and uh, fascination with, you know, the cutting edge of technologies. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something we talk a lot about, is that um, the definition of upstream is evolving to include almost everything subsurface and that interface with the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Interface with the midstream. Um, and that the other concept is that the oil and gas sector and all things subsurface are, are very specialized and very sophisticated technologically. Um, and then with all the research that people continue to do, our understanding on the frontier of what's possible, as you were saying, you want to be looking ahead. So the oil business is a fairly sophisticated business. and. You know, some of our audience are not subject matter experts in oil and gas, so we try to have that education. So you've named a lot of sectors that um, really are specializations, and you need that degree of specialization because we can't really see what we're doing down there. All we can do is take measurements and infer, and so that is really um, an important aspect of, of the oil and gas sector. Um, so I'm really interested in your uh, take on the, on strategy, how we need strategy. You know, a lot of us are all of the above people in terms of all kinds of, but there's not like a all of the above strategy, is there? I mean. Do people talk about that in your in your space at all? Yeah, there's not a whole lot, but uh, because I focused within the upstream domain on deep water specifically, that's by definition a long-term business. Meaning, you know, probably if you're looking, you know, uh, acquiring leases today and acquiring, you know, 3D seismic data and prospecting, you might look at a development a decade later, in some cases two decades later. I worked on when I first joined Shell on some uh, prospects in the eastern Gulf of Mexico, which was sort of play opening at that time, that's 2002, which only came online right around 220. Oh boy. So it took that long. And it was very interesting because by being involved sort of the front end and the late end, one can then sort of uh, 
work forward, what would that look like 10 years out, and then reverse back. I call that sometimes reverse casting. So it's not about forecasting or a crystal ball, but rather envisioning where future states should be or could be, and then reversing back from there, what do we need to do to get there? And importantly, in deep water, it takes a long time to mature technologies so that they can be selectable for these deep water projects. So you really, for a technology to be selected in a project that's ongoing today, uh, it needs to have been matured almost 10 years ago. And so in the same vein, if we want to be able to have a selectable technology 20 years out, we need to be thinking decades ahead, actually. What are the needs then? What do we need to work towards now so that we can get there? And so by definition, it forces you to think about future states, including, incidentally, uh, reuse, including decommissioning with the end in mind, and including potentially also the intersects with new energy sources. So for example, potentially repurposing some of these wells to geothermal or CCUS or whatever people are looking at today, that needs to be done ahead of time, right? decades right. ahead. Absolutely. So I'm aware of um, a DOE program uh, in partnership with the Department of Interior, uh, BESI, uh, to um, coordinate um, offshore, coordinate uh, oil and gas production with wind energy and marine energy. Absolutely. And yes. uh, it's really focused on a, it's, it's assuming a strategy, not creating the strategy, but investing in R&D. What kinds of R&D could we develop, solve what some of the greater challenges are, and in that way, inform a future strategy? Absolutely. In the That's kind of how you need to think, yes. And, and these are some of the frameworks I would employ, both, again, in the strategy role that I played, as well as in the Game Changer program, actually, and as well as in my current work. So, for example, one of the areas I've, area of focus for me back then and still is, is this idea of the digital subsea or the underwater internet of things. And that's basically a system of systems. And in order then to work on maturing any technology within that domain, you kind of need to think holistically and how it all come together. So part of that is robotics, you know, autonomous underwater vehicles, but those underwater vehicles need to perform tasks. Those tasks then are enabled by underwater communications, for example, which is one of the technologies we, I worked on firsthand as well as the ability to collect data and process that data in an intelligible, actionable way. Uh, machine vision applications, for example, for autonomous inspection of assets. So you kind of need to envision the system, the use cases for the technologies, and then work backwards from there, what are the different technologies that we need to work on. So it's kind of, again, thinking about the end in mind, and then reversing back from there, what do we need to work on to get to that end state? So for example, in the underwater Internet of Things, the end state is a, essentially a fully autonomous system that is enabled by a whole bunch of technologies. And then if we want to work on these, maturing these technologies, we need to ensure that these technologies are moving ahead in similar pace so that at some point they actually coalesce together and uh, enable the capability that is not possible today. Yeah, 
yeah. Oh, you're so excited about all of that. I love I love the energy <laughs> coming from you, and plus, really with is. all of your experience. So, so tell us a little bit about. I mean, you're pretty famous. You're here at OTC, and you're pretty famous with SPE and OTC, and so a lot of people know about you. But tell us, like, especially for some of the young people, your career with SPE. Did you start out uh, as part of the chap student chapter, or tell us a little bit about how you got to be involved with sure. OTC? So. I think uh, my first publication with uh, SPE was way back when I was still a field engineer working in uh, Malaysia, and it was in the late 80s, so like a, a year or two after I, uh, I joined SLB. And it was with one of the customers there, and it was about new technology that we tested. And it was like really early on, I was like, okay, this is interesting. I should really do more of this. Oh, so you, you hadn't done a student paper or anything no, like that? No, not at all. Because, you know, I came from mechanical engineering. Oh, that's this right, wasn't my that's thing. Right, that's right. But, you know, I said, okay, you know, this is interesting. I should really look at, you know, applications of these technologies. And I, you know, that was my first publication. And then there was a bit of a hiatus because I was still in field roles. But really the, the pivot was when I went back to do my master's at UT and then came back in a sort of techni deeply technical role as a reservoir engineer and all that. And I was working very closely with customers then. And then it was, became very obvious why it is that you wanted to actually work closely with customers on you know, documenting some of the good work, some of the successes, some of the learnings and failures that were done. And so it, be, it became quite a prolific period of time. And since then, which is really my advice to people, don't drop the ball. Continue to be active no matter what. So one thing I, I suppose I, uh, I emphasized was even though sometimes I took these general strategy roles and other you know, more management style roles. I never completely dropped off the technical parts. So I continued to, you know, write patents and, and, and uh, author papers throughout. Until today, I still do. Like, you know, I have a co-author on a paper here in this event and a couple in the SPE coming up in San Antonio later this year. So I think to date I have something like 150 papers oh or gosh. so. Oh my gosh. But the key learning for me has been don't stop. Just keep, even, you know, you might trickle it back, it might pick back up, but just don't stop, because if you stop, it becomes very difficult yeah. to get back in that mode. And it's, uh, it's important to do this, because you always want to be learning. You always want to be curious. You don't want to stop and stagnate, or say, okay, that's it, that's all I need to know. At least, not for me, that wouldn't work. Right. So, um, that's my advice. The other thing is, of course, get involved with technical societies. It offers a lot. Uh, I've been involved with SPE. I think I'm a lifetime member or something now. OTC, of course, I was involved for the last 15 years or so until my last uh, role as uh, the technology uh, uh, chair, the technology committee chair. And uh, with SPWA, Society of Petrophysicists and World Log Analysts, oh. I'm a past president of that about 15 years ago. Oh. But that's where I, I started out with the chapters, you know, worked all the way to the you know international chapters and then I was the president and past president and foundation chair and I'm still involved until today I still you know go to the SPWA annual conferences and present stuff and uh, and so on and it's invigorating to do that yeah I'm, I'm not you know deeply uh, in that one domain anymore but it's enjoyable to remain connected to it and to stay engaged and stay informed about the latest in it even though I'm doing, obviously, more general things right now. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And so um, there's a, 
so authorship is something that is yes. not for everybody. I mean, yes. it is. It can be intimidating for some people, Correct. especially if you're going to be the presenting officer, uh, okay. author, author. So that can be a little intimidating. But but hanging around a little bit with the professional society yes. and like that. So volunteers. Absolutely, and, and you know, beyond of course, whether you author or present papers or not, which is in itself very fulfilling and you know, learning exercise. It, teaches you know you know confidence and getting in front of a crowd and making your points across succinctly and clearly but beyond that just volunteerism in itself is very fulfilling the idea of being able to serve others to give back and importantly to learn how to work collectively in a setting where you don't have authority over anybody. Right, right? that's right. So, you know, as a president of SPAA or whatever, I don't have a, you know, I don't pay anybody anything. I don't have a paycheck power. Right. So to be able to influence others without formal authority is a very important skill that one needs throughout their career, especially in today's style of working. And professional societies teach you that better than any other venue that I can think of. So it's the best opportunity to learn how to work with others, how to coordinate work, how divide and conquer, you know, whatever task you're trying to do, and how, as I mentioned, influencing others without authority. Uh, one of the best places to learn is through involvement in professional societies, yes? Right, absolutely, yeah. The networking is, um, there, there's nothing like it, nothing to replace it. It's, it's a unique uh, benefit of being involved, and uh, people want to work with people they know. So you want to get to know as many people as possible and have people know you. And Especially in today's world, which is hyper-connected, and uh, the way we work today is very uh, amorphous, very global. Very um, global. It is amorphous. not bound by physical boundaries or of space or time. Right. You know, I've lived in that world for decades now, so it's second nature to me. But some today are still learning. A great way to experience that get good at that is through professional societies. SPWA, for example, is one of the very first societies that started going global early. They did that in the early 80s. Decided that, you know, you need to balance the membership. And so the annual meeting, the big annual meeting that they do is done rotating between a US or a North American venue and an international venue. I've been doing that for more than 40 years now. Oh. So by now, again, it's second nature, right? It's it's not a struggle anymore in this, again, hyper-connected world to do that because there's a lot of experience doing this. And every time you get a chapter to step up and become the organizer for the annual meeting for everybody else, and you know, it takes up a lot of work, a lot of volunteerism, nobody gets paid anything, it's all, you know, pro bono, but it's a great experience, fulfilling, very fulfilling experience. Yes, yes. Well, your career, your contributions, your companies, um, I'll reflect the fact that you have been fully engaged and you've made some wonderful contributions. So I think you're a living example of what you're saying and I think that that's, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I'm Thank a big you. volunteer, you know, ever since I was a little girl, uh, you know, with Girl Scouts and, you know, uh, student government in high school and college. And so absolutely, it is something that is yes, part and of... Uh, I mean, one observation is it's never too late, right? It's I did not do, late. unfortunately, I haven't, did not have the opportunity to do that when I was a student. I was kind of, you know, really focused on, on task. I, I graduated relatively early, oh, well, um, like 20 years old or something. Thing, yeah. And I started working very early. Yeah. So I didn't have that opportunity, but it's not too late. Not too so, uh, you know, the catching up that I've had to do, I guess, as a you know, master's student and afterwards, uh, you can. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So we're, we're kind of winding down. Are there some things you want to share with everybody that we didn't, that we didn't get to quite yet? Um, maybe just a thought around um, where are we with respect to you know, upstream and energy yes. transition? Because uh, there's a lot of angst sometimes, particularly in students and young professionals about, you know, am I even in the right place here? Is there even need for these kinds of things? Right, right. And opinions are going to differ, of course. Uh, I'm of the opinion that yes, you're going to need you know, upstream activity in oil and gas for some decades to come, in addition to, of course, the quest and the ongoing marching towards you know, a re more renewable energy future. And they're going to go hand in hand for decades to come, many more decades than most people think. Absolutely. Uh, and because of that then, yes, you can have a fulfilling and thriving career on either side, in between, or doing both. <laughs> right. No problem there. I spent my entire career in uh, oil and gas. I'm doing a lot more around renewables right now, geothermal, CCUS, and hydrogen. But I still continue to be active. It's not like I've relinquished oil and gas or whatever. There is value to be had there. There's money to be made. There's career to be pursued. However, the idea of career maybe needs to be revisited. You know, this idea of spending you know, an entire career working for a company probably is already outdated anyway, in oil yeah, and gas or otherwise. that's a good point, yeah. So it's okay, and I've, you know, I made a point that even within the one company I was working is to you know, learn new things, go with the flow, you know, experience what the world might offer you, and you never know what you've learned before, how it might serve you later. And it doesn't have to be you know, technical uh, skills necessarily, but you know, many of the soft skills, the managerial skills, and the people skills become very relevant in whatever it is that you do. So no need to consternate over you know, how long is this or how long you know, is going to be in the one company. It doesn't have to be one company. It doesn't have to be one linear path. It doesn't have to be the same domain either. Um, so that's my advice to people yeah. who are starting their career. You know, you know, just just exp go with the experiences and the learnings that you know all this has to offer you, and without you know worrying too too much about you know definitively knowing where you're going to be in 30 years or whatever. Nobody right, can really tell. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, and and it's never too late either. I mean, no. I started out boots in the field, and then I came to Washington D.C. and then I retired, and in, in D.C. I was involved in research, and then. Um, I retired and now I have a small consultancy, but I also am a podcast host, talking to great, great people and Thank continuing so to learn um, all of this. Yeah, very admirable stuff. career yeah. you've had. Yes, I, I'm, I'm proud of it, um, but it's fun. It was, it's been fun and it is fun. And I think you communicated that as well in, in your story as well. Well, Hani, I so appreciate you being with us today. Hani El Shahawi, Founder and Managing Director for Novi Digitech. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Elena. I really enjoyed it. Oh, and Appreciate we it. loved hearing you and all your great experiences and contributions to oil and gas upstream. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like. And would you like to hear about more on future podcasts? This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time.
Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. 